0: Welcome to the Trinity Reformed Church Podcast. Sermon by Jason Cherry on January 9th, Lord's Day Service. to which I'd like to direct your attention this morning are found in Mark chapter 6. Mark chapter 6, verses 30 through 44. The apostles returned to Jesus, Mark chapter 6, verses 30 through 44. The apostles returned to Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. Heavenly Father, we ask that the power of your spirit apply your word to inspire us to the sort of compassion that gives the food which endures to eternal life. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Acts chapter 10, verse 38 says that Jesus went about doing good and healing. This statement in Acts 10 is from one of Peter's sermons and it is significant. It shows us That the memory of Jesus' followers is of a man going through the land doing good. And we best not forget that when we make our plans for doing ministry. And when the disciples remembered Jesus doing good, one of the first events they thought of was the feeding of the 5,000. Now why do I say that? Well, it's because this is the only miracle recorded in all four Gospels. Which means this story was circulated more often and was more well known than any other miracle story in the early church. There's a lot to learn from this story. For instance, in this story, we have evidence of the unique authority of Jesus, power on a unique level, on a different level, power that takes five loaves and two fishes and expands it into amount, an amount that can feed a multitude. But also what we see is that this story gives us unique insight into the compassion of Jesus Christ. We see this at the beginning of the story in verse 34 when it says, He saw a great crowd and had compassion on them. And so our main point this morning is to see and consider the compassion of Jesus Christ. And we will do this by seeing three things. We'll see, first, that Christ's compassion is concerned with physical and spiritual things. Second, we'll see that Christ's compassion is active, not passive. And third, we'll see that Christ's compassion is extended through his disciples. So first, let's consider how Christ's compassion is concerned with physical and spiritual things. Now, if we're going to explore the compassion of Christ, we have to begin with the definition and so the word compassion originally meant inward parts. Now when you and I use the word compassion, we usually mean something like sympathy, but the idea of compassion is that it is this merciful love that comes out of the inward parts. In other words, it comes out of the inner person. It is merciful love that comes out of the soul. And the way the word is used here in verse 34 for Jesus to be moved with compassion is for him to be moved in his innermost being to show merciful love on another so we see verse 34 when he went ashore he saw a great crowd and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd so notice why did Jesus have compassion on these people what says in verse 34, they are like sheep without a shepherd. And, and here's the key point about compassion. Compassion is more than pity. Compassion is more than just feeling sorry for someone. And in the South, we're kind of experts at that. Just feeling sorry for someone while we then sit back in our chair. And so that's not what compassion is. And that's certainly not Christian compassion. Compassion is more than just pity. Compassion is not just feeling sorry for someone. Compassion is actual help. And notice that Jesus is moved to compassion in verse 34, not because they are hungry. Notice again, why is he moved to compassion? Because they are like sheep without a shepherd. That is, they are destitute of teachers. They have no guides except the blind scribes and Pharisees. They have man-made traditions rather than spiritual food. And so thousands of immortal souls stand before our Lord, ignorant, helpless, and on the high road to ruin. And Jesus is moved with compassion towards them. And notice, what did Jesus' compassion move him to do? Well, it then says in verse 34, he began to teach them many things. And in the parallel account of this story in Luke, in Luke chapter 9, verse 11, we're told that Jesus in particular teaches them about the kingdom of God. And that's interesting because this is a story about feeding 5,000 people. And when we remember this story, the thing we remember is that Jesus fed a multitude of people. And yet, verse 34 tells us that Jesus is moved to action not because he sees hungry people. He is moved to action because he sees sheep without a shepherd. He sees people with physical needs. But more than that, he sees people with spiritual needs because they are without a shepherd. And it's not that they lack enough priests to go around. No, they have many priests. The problem is that the religious leaders are not doing what they are meant to do. They are producing spiritually and physically hungry people wrapped up in all sorts of religious red tape. The people are spiritually starved as well as materially impoverished, and the shepherds don't seem to care. And so that's why it says, verse 34, Jesus has moved to compassion because they are sheep without a shepherd and his solution is to begin teaching them. In other words, his solution is to offer them the bread of life. He offers the people bread that feeds the soul and bread that also, as we're going to see, satisfies the needs of the body. Now, on the one hand, Giving Bible lessons to large crowds and sending them away hungry does too little. Starving people rarely hear the teaching because they're intent on physical survival. On the other hand, simply filling their bellies without also filling their souls with the kingdom of God does too little. See, the two go hand in hand. And so we read this story and we err when we think it's about fishes and loaves. But don't feel too bad, the disciples missed it too. And that's emphasized throughout Mark's gospel. For example, Mark chapter 6, verse 52 says, the disciples did not understand about the loaves. Then in Mark chapter 8, verses 16 and 17, it says, the disciples began discussing with one another the fact that they had no bread. And Jesus, aware of this, said to them, why are you discussing the fact that you have no bread? Do you not yet perceive or understand? See, the disciples are slow to understand exactly what's going on in this story. What do they not understand about the feeding of the 5,000? Well, they don't understand the same thing we too often fail to understand. And that is that this story is teaching us that Jesus is the provider of spiritual provision as much as physical provision. And so the multiplication of the fishes and loaves is designed to reveal the identity of Jesus as the one who provides both. And so we're learning about the compassion of our Lord Jesus Christ. And the first thing we see is that Christ's compassion is concerned with physical and spiritual things. The next thing we need to see in this passage is that Christ's compassion is active, not passive. So notice the progression, beginning in verse 31, many were coming and going and they had no leisure even to eat. In verse 36, the disciples tell him to send them away and go into the surrounding countryside and villages. And then verse 37, Jesus says to the disciples, you give them something to eat. You see, Jesus doesn't merely react to hunger with a feeling, with sympathy. He actively pursues opportunities to relieve people, even before they ask. So Jesus' compassion, in other words, Christian compassion, is the bridge from sympathy to action much like the father in the parable of the lost son felt compassion and ran and embraced his son in Luke 15:20 that's christian compassion christian pa- compassion doesn't sit on the front porch waiting for the son to come to you no christian compassion sees the son sees that he's hungry gets off the porch and runs to meet him and so we have not done our duty if all we've done is point out the problems in in society and lament them. Now, some make a career out of itemizing the world's problems. We see the talking heads on television and on the radio and on the podcasts. We hear them. And also in Christian circles, we have a lot of people who are making their living off of naming the world's problems. The church, however, is called into the world to do something about these problems we have our feet firmly anchored in Christ so that we can stand in the firmness of the gospel and pull people out of their sin. In Matthew 19, 19, Jesus says, love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus here in the feeding of the 5,000 shows us what it looks like to take that command seriously. And how does he take this command seriously? How does Jesus... Love your neighbor as yourself. Well, Jesus assumes the role of host and offers them a meal. And so, what would it look like if we took Jesus' example of compassion? What would it look like if we were moved to compassion for those who are sheep without a shepherd? What would it look like if we loved those people and hosted them for a meal like Jesus has done? Verse 42 tells us they all ate and were satisfied. And something tells me this is talking about more than just fishes and loaves. And I wonder if we gave our neighbors the same combination of physical and spiritual food, if some of them would walk away from our home satisfied, not just with the physical meal we gave them, but also with the spiritual meal that we had prepared for our guests. And I also wonder if there would be baskets full of fishes and loaves left, like we see in verse 43. And so what we see in this passage is we're learning about the compassion of our Lord Jesus Christ. We see first that Christ's compassion is concerned with physical and spiritual things. We see second that Christ's compassion is active, not passive. And third, we need to see that Christ's compassion is extended through his disciples. You know, it's easy to read a passage like this and say, well, Jesus did these things, but I'm not Jesus. And you need to see that Jesus in this passage actively uses his disciples to show compassion on shepherdless people. So verse 37, Jesus answered them, you give them something to eat. And then notice verse 39. He commanded them all to sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups by hundreds and by fifties. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven, said a blessing, and broke the loaves. And gave them to the disciples to set before the people. And he divided the two fish among them all. Notice how Jesus places responsibility to minister to the crowds on the disciples. And think about this. We saw earlier that the disciples don't even really understand what the feeding of the 5,000 is all about. Remember, we're told Mark 6:52, Mark chapter 8, that they are hardened. They can't perceive. They don't understand yet about what's going on here. They're mired in confusion about the loaves. They're ignorant about what Jesus is really accomplishing here. And yet, Jesus still gives them a task. Jesus still shows them that there's a way for you to serve in the advancement of the kingdom of God. No doubt there's an example here for parents of young children. Your children can participate. They may not fully grasp what's going on. Your children, though, can participate, can bless the crowds when you host them. And so I wonder, I wonder As Jesus gives the disciples this responsibility, what would it look like if we also gave people responsibility? Not waiting for their full maturity, not waiting for them to pass the doctrine class, but we started to assign responsibilities in ministering of the gospel under our supervision. And we notice the tasks they give them. What is their task? Their task is to offer the hospitality of Jesus to others. The disciples, Thought it was impossible to feed the large crowd. Verse 35, they tell Jesus, this is a desolate place and the hour is late. Send them away to go into the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. See, the disciples think it's impossible to feed this large crowd. But with Jesus, as the story goes on, they pull it off and they feed the crowd. And I want you to notice, how do they pull it off in terms of the disciples' role in particular? How do they pull it off? Well, they pull it off by simple obedience to Jesus's command. The disciples, under Jesus's command, are able to distribute the bread of life to the people. And oh, how I wish the church would learn this lesson. We make ministry far too complicated. Far too complicated. If we want to minister to the shepherdless sheep, if we want to spiritually feed the 5,000, we don't need bells and whistles. We don't need pop psychology. We don't need to water down our message. We need to begin with simple obedience to what Jesus has told us. And that doesn't require our full comprehension before we obey. The disciples do not fully comprehend and yet they do obey and Jesus in their simple obedience uses them in this story. And so we're learning something about the compassion of Christ and it's not just the compassion of Christ, we're learning something about Christian compassion. And so Having considered some things about Christian compassion, let's now consider a few implications about Christian compassion. So implication number one, compassion is careful to not misdirect anger to the wrong people. You see, many of the serious Christians today are disillusioned with the church. They look at the state of evangelicalism and they lament and condemn what they see. And there's nothing wrong with lamenting falsehood and spinelessness in the church. But be careful that your laments and your angers are first, accurate, but second, directed at the right people. See Jesus pours out a lot of hard words to the Pharisees, but not to the pitiable crowd of 5,000 people that are led by the Pharisees. We need to see that distinction. Jesus here makes a distinction between the hypocritical and incompetent leaders and the sheep. And we would be wise to make the same distinction, especially when our frustration with the modern evangelical church shows itself. And we have to remember, sheep are sheep. Sheep only eat what is put before them. And so the first implication is that compassion is careful to not misdirect anger to the wrong people. Next, compassion has little use for excuse making. See, in verses 35 and 36, the disciples are engaging in preemptive excuse making. They know feeding 5,000 people is a lot of work when you begin with five loaves and two fishes. And so they try to head Jesus off by suggesting everyone should just be on their own for dinner. The type of excuse, ma- excuse making on display in this passage is common. It's common to sinful man. It's common in the modern world. Jesus' proactive approach is the opposite of excuse making. And we would be wise to notice See, one of the simplest ways we Christians can set ourselves apart from the world is if we run from the culture of excuse making. And of course, this starts in our home. We don't want to build a culture of excuse making in our home. And so you have to understand, why do people make excuses? Well, the first reason is the obvious one, it's just laziness, and that kind of explains itself. But the second reason people make excuses is from a fear of failure. And one of the things which always threatens pride is any kind of failure. And so the way insecure people deal with this is through making excuses. For example, if you're concerned you might lose that pickup game of basketball, you might not try very hard. And then when the game's over, you can just say, doesn't matter, I wasn't even trying. That's how we operate when we're making excuses. We're fearing failure. In contrast, a refusal to make excuses is right at the heart of biblical maturity. And we, as parents, need to be sure to train our children to not be excuse makers. The disciples here try to make excuses and Jesus does not stand for it. The most common way parents create another generation of excuse making is by modeling it. That is, they make excuses for themselves and they even make excuses for their own children. And the children see this and they learn. And when the time comes, they start making excuses too. And in contrast to this common problem, our goal should be to raise up leaders and leadership flows to those who take responsibility rather than those who excuse it. And so if we train our kids to shift responsibility elsewhere, we're really just training them to be a leader, or training them to flee leadership, I should say. And so the first implication here is that compassion is careful to not misdirect anger to the wrong person. The second implication is that compassion has little use for excuse making. And the third implication is that compassion is rooted in the body of Christ. You see, there is an explicit, I would say, maybe it's not explicit, but there is a Lord's Supper connection to this story. In particular, this is a story found in all four Gospels, and the way this story is situated in the Gospel of John, it's in John chapter 6, the first 15 or so verses, and then after that's when Jesus launches into his his discourse about how he is the bread of life. And so what John is doing in the Gospel of John is he is intentionally situating this story next to an understanding that Jesus is the bread of life. He's connecting it to the Lord's Supper. And then even in Mark's Gospel, there is something of a connection here, even though it's subtle. Because in Mark's Gospel, in Mark chapter 14 is where we have the passage of the Last Supper. And the terminology used in Mark chapter 14, verse 22 is almost exactly what is said in Mark 6:41. listen to it Mark 14 22 as Jesus is presiding over the Last Supper he says he took bread and after blessing it broke it and gave it to them comparing that then with Mark chapter 6 verse 41 it says he looked up to heaven and said a blessing and broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples And so John is making this association between the feeding of the 5,000 and Jesus being the bread of life. Mark is making this association between the feeding of the 5,000 and the Last Supper. Now obviously the crowd of 5,000 people didn't see this as a preview of the Lord's Supper, but the disciples later on did apparently make a connection. And so we would be remiss if we didn't emphasize, as does the Apostle John with his placement of the story that Jesus is the bread of life and whoever goes to him shall not hunger and whoever believes in him shall not thirst. And as we close, we need to remember that that for all the compassion and mercy that Jesus showed, he knew he would receive the opposite. See, in the divine counsel of God that took place before the foundation of the world, God the Father made a plan to save a people for himself. And God the Son agreed to be the Lamb of God whereby he would come to earth in the form of a man and take the sin of the world in himself. And so God the Son came to earth in the form of a man. We call that man Jesus Christ. Jesus then, through his death, burial, and resurrection, offered himself up to the Father as the sacrifice for sin. And it's the work of reconciliation that is particularly attributed to Christ. So we have Holy Father. We have sinful man. And then we have Jesus Christ who makes reconciliation, bringing sinful man to holy God. You see, in our sin, we are estranged from God the Father. Because of our sin, we deserve his wrath. We deserve his condemnation. But God the Son reconciles us to the Father through his sacrificial death. Jesus delivered himself both body and soul to God the Father whose eyes are too pure to look upon iniquity. And so God the Father forsook God the Son on the cross in an act of judgment. An act of judgment that should have been our judgment. So that we who are at enmity with God might be delivered from the tortures of eternal damnation and be at peace with God the Father. And so let us never forget that our Lord, Jesus Christ, is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He never changes. High in heaven, at God's right hand, Christ still looks with compassion on the children of men. Christ still pities the ignorant and the shepherdless. Christ is still willing, as verse 34 says, to teach them many things. Christ is still willing... As verse 37 says, to give them something to eat so that they may be, as verse 42 says, satisfied. And Christians know that this is talking about more than fishes and loaves. Let's close by praying together. Heavenly Father, if traces of Christ's compassion are upon us, may your Spirit sanctify us to the completed image of compassion like that seen in our Lord Jesus Christ. We pray this for the sake of your name. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you want to find out more, check out our website at trinityreformedkirk.com. That's trinityreformedkirk.com.